0: Take your Bibles this morning, go with me if you would, to Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26 in your Bibles today. You all did a wonderful job singing today. I wanted to tell you that, even in the first, the opening hymn, I wanted to interrupt Pastor Tolman and tell you that I don't know, I can't remember a time where i heard a congregation sing so wonderfully, so you did a wonderful job today, Uh, you're a blessing to my heart. Matthew 26 is where we're at. Mrs. Lunny, it is good to see you today. And um, uh, normally on Wednesdays for Bible studies, Mrs. Lunny will, uh, will almost weekly has said to us over the years, it's just so good to be here with you guys. That's what your quote is. I've learned it. And I want to tell you publicly, we're glad that you're here. We're praying for you as you uh, battle this cancer and keep walking with the Lord through it. So thank you for being here. Matthew 26 is where we're going to be at. This is a very, very special week. And, of course, it's the week where we are reminded of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross of Calvary for us and took the sins of the whole world, not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world upon his body. And he suffered for with those sins. And he, of course, was crucified a torturous death, physically torturous death, suffered. Now, the greatest suffering that Jesus endured during his crucifixion was not the physical torment, but it was the spiritual agony of becoming sin. He was was and is God, and God became sin. Um, God died For us in our place. So this week, uh, when you're as you're going through the week and you're we're looking forward to Sunday, next Sunday, a resurrection Sunday where we will celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Jesus, our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, But the resurrection doesn't happen without a death. And uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no payment for our sin. Uh, Hebrews talks about the uh, shedding of the blood of bulls and of goats, of sheep, could never take away sin, could never take it away. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, his blood was sufficient and he took our sins away. And so we we love him. We love him because he first loved us. And that's why we're here today. And that's why we'll be here next Sunday. And that's why we gather every Sunday. Of every week of the year, because we love the Lord and because He rose from the dead. I do want to say thank you to those who were who came out and worked on the roof yesterday. We had a great group, and uh, we had men and ladies come out, and uh, we we got it done. So I'm not sore at all. It didn't even faze me. No, that's not true. I am sore many many places, but uh, it was a blessing to work with you all who came. And, you know, it's like any ministry. We can't have everybody involved in every ministry. That's just not the way God made it. The roof wouldn't have held us, you know, if we'd all been up there. So that would have been a bigger problem. But, uh, so, but it was a blessing to serve with you all. Do keep Jimmy Rogers in prayer. Uh, he was here yesterday. He was up on the roof. And uh, he didn't know it, but he had a heart attack. And uh, he got down from the roof. He's in ICU right now. And uh, they put a balloon in his uh, lower part of his heart yesterday Um, and they were unable to get the stents in place. And so he's going to be in ICU for two to three days. We're hoping not more than that. And they're going to keep trying to put those stents in. But uh, as troubled as I was that it happened here, I was thankful that it was not more severe for him to fall off the roof, number one. But I also praise the Lord. We had. Rob Harmon here who works at McLaren. We had Michelle Bahalski here who is an ICU nurse, works on the heart, the cardiac floor. Um, and uh, Dick Poe is here, and he had some, some, medic- some uh, very strong medication that is helpful for someone who's having a heart attack to take it. And he just, Rob happened to be here, and Michelle happened to be here, and Dick Poe happened. You see what's happening here. Uh, Yesterday at the hospital Val told me she said i'm glad it happened where it happened because if it had happened at home She said i'm not sure I could have talked him into going Okay, because he wasn't sure he was having one. He didn't want to overblow it uh, Make a bigger deal out of it than it was but he was having one so be in prayer for him and then also uh, be in prayer for a funeral this tuesday uh, Charlie muse He passed away this past week. Many of you know that he's with the lord. He's with the lord and um on friday his son tanner i asked tanner if he knew the lord as a person's personal savior and tanner said told me he said my dad led me to the lord and um but be in prayer for tanner and it was my heart was encouraged that charlie had seen fit to lead his son to christ but be in prayer for tanner the funeral will be here at 11 a.m on tuesday there'll be visitations starting at 10 and then there'll be a meal following the funeral uh the 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 graveside service as well so a lot going on it's been a busy week and uh amanda left for the week she took vacation days and left and we're not going to let her leave anymore um that was a problem for the rest of us who were here let me tell you all right matthew 26 is where we're at and uh, look at verse 1 it says and it came to pass when jesus had finished all these sayings and um All those sayings are chapters 24 and 25. It was the Olivet Discourse, a powerful sermon that he was preaching. He said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety or trickery and kill him. So they had been planning this. They were working to kill Jesus, verse 5. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. And now Matthew here in verse 6, he shifts back uh, in time. He goes back to something that took place on the Saturday so it would be the equivalent of yesterday before Jesus was crucified. And he remembers something and he, he uh, tells us something that Jesus said we would all remember. Look at verse number six. He says, now when Jesus was in Bethany, so this had happened some days earlier, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on Jesus' head as he sat at meat. And when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray the Lord. As we come into this week and we ponder our Lord's sacrifice for us, I want to ask you a question today what is your response to the Lord Jesus Christ how have you responded to him in the past how are you responding to him today and this week as you go throughout your week and in our text you see there were three groups of people or three a, a, a group in in Caiaphas the the high priest. And then you have Mary, um, who who lovingly worships the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end, you saw Judas. Judas. Talk about lost opportunity. Judas betraying Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing the contrast that we read? You have Mary uh, breaking something of tremendous value in worshiping Christ. And then verses later, you have Judas selling Christ out for 30 pieces of silver. And again, I ask you, as we look at these these people, I want you to find where you fit in this passage, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this group of people, this congregation that you have brought together. Thank you for saving us by your son. Uh, Thank you for the wonderful singing today and praises to your name. Uh, you are worthy of our praise and we we love and we adore you. Um, father, I do pray for Tanner Muse and uh, saying goodbye to his father. Lord, you know Tanner's spiritual condition. Thank you for Charlie's desire for Tanner to be saved. May you be glorified this Tuesday in that funeral. And then what I, I pray for Jimmy as he's in the hospital right now and he's really uncomfortable. But Lord, we're thankful that you've spared his life and You know, you number our days, so you know our appointment. Um, But, Father, I pray that you give the doctors and nurses wisdom as they care for him. help Val give her peace throughout this time. And, uh, Lord, may we be drawn to you today. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look again at verse number two, would you? It says in verse two, in, in two days, Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified. Two days, Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified. Now, I, I draw your attention to that because Jesus' death was no accident. It was not an accident. It was ordered by God. God chose this. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they've been trying to kill him, from really, from the very beginning. And they've been unsuccessful in all of their planning and all of their conniving and all of their attempts. Uh, Jesus said this in John 10 and verse 18, no man taketh it, speaking about his life, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself and I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. In John 19 and verse 10, the Bible talks about how, what tells us what Pilate said to Jesus where he said, speakest thou not unto me, knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee. And Jesus answered Pilate, that governor, and he said, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. And that is the truth when it comes to Jesus' death. Um, there were Roman soldiers involved. There was a terrible beating involved and whipping. There were, there were the, the crown of thorns that were driven into his skull. He was nailed to a cross. He was hung up on that cross. He was mocked and ridiculed. But none of this happened by accident. And they did not take Jesus' life from him. Jesus gave up his life. And really, Jesus told Pilate there, you don't have control over my death, even if you are the governor, because God has given you the power that you have. There were multiple attempts on Jesus' life the Bible records for us. The very first one happened shortly after Jesus was born into the world. You remember King Herod massacring all of the babies under two years of age, trying to kill the king of the Jews. Uh, The second time that I know about happened when uh, Jesus was in Nazareth. He was ministering in the synagogue among his own people who knew him well and who he had grown up with. And He opened to them the scriptures, it says, in Luke chapter 4. And he read out of Isaiah, and he closed the book, and Jesus said these words. He said, this day is that scripture fulfilled in your ears. And what Jesus was saying was, I am am the one of whom Isaiah spoke. I am the promised one. I am the Messiah who has come to preach the gospel to the poor and to give sight to the blind and to release the captives. And when Jesus said that, the Bible says, They took him out to a brow of the hill of a hill, a cliff, and they were going to throw him off to kill him. So they were trying to kill him all throughout his earthly ministry. Another time I reminded of is recorded for us in John chapter five, where he was at the pool, the pool of Bethsaida. And there was a man there who had been crippled for 38 years. You remember, we studied these things. And the Bible says that he healed that man. And immediately they sought a way to kill him because he did it on the Sabbath. a little leery of wind after it blew the barn roof off already. We don't. We just put it on yesterday. You know, I don't know what. The fourth time I remember happened when the temple police were sent. I think it's recorded in John chapter seven to to uh, apprehend Jesus. And uh, and they wanted to execute him. So they send the, the temple police. So it'll be executed. And they came back without Jesus. And all they could say was never a man spoke like that man. That's all. They went armed. They went ready. They went with authority. But the point is, it wasn't time. It wasn't time. the, The Jewish leadership wanted to kill Jesus. They had worked and planned and met In John chapter 10, it was wintertime and Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was at the porch of Solomon in the temple and the Jews picked up stones. They wanted to stone him on that day, but the Bible says he escaped out of their hands. In John 11, when he came into the city of Bethany and there he raised Lazarus from the dead, it created such an anger and such a disturbance among the Jewish leaders that in verse 53 of that chapter, the Bible says that they met together together and took counsel how to put him to death. I mean, do you you think they were consumed with Jesus? Can you see this? I mean, they were, he dominated their thinking. They had plans and goals and uh, agendas that they wanted to carry out, and Jesus was in the way. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to put, put him to death. It wasn't God's timing, but now God's timing had come. It was time. And this time of the year for Jesus, there in Jerusalem, there would have been around two and a half million visitors, many of them from Galilee, fascinated with with the Lord Jesus Christ, fascinated with him enough to cry Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They were fascinated enough with him to hail him as the Messiah, knowing that he was a miracle worker and knowing that he could give uh, sight to the blind and that he could give and had given hearing to the deaf and he had made people who could not speak, speak, and he had raised those that were infirmed and ill. He had healed them and others. He had given life to those who were dead. So from the religious leader standpoint, when Jesus died, this was the worst possible time for him to die. And they had talked about that in those verses that we've already read in our text. They had said very clearly, not 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 now, not not at the Passover, not at the time of the feast. This would be the worst time to do it but they wound up killing Jesus anyway they wound it up they wound up with him dying anyway when they didn't want him to die they want to kill him and they can they don't want to kill him and they do and in all of this we see the sovereignty of, of God and what is the sovereignty of God it is God's authority to do what he wants to do with what belongs to him. And he has that in he has that authority in my life and he has that authority in your life. He has the right to do what he wants to do in our lives because we belong to him. So it's two days from Wednesday or two days from Wednesday is Friday. And when all the Jews would be celebrating their Passover, lambs were going to be slain and Jesus was going to be offered as the Lamb of God. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us this, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. I want to look at these three people, and I want you to answer the question, how are you responding to Jesus this morning? Number one, we can respond with a hateful rejection of Jesus. A hateful rejection of Jesus. And I see this beginning in verse number three, uh, and I see it in Caiaphas and the high priest's or the the the, the priesthood of, of in Israel at that time. Look at verse three, it says then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people, under the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. Now, on the very same night that Jesus speaks these words, that he is going, that that they're going to, that he's going to die, he's going to he's going to be killed. Um, They're meeting on the very same night, and uh, it's it's on Wednesday night. And the Sanhedrin, the religious leadership of Israel, they'd called this special meeting in the house of the palace of Caiaphas, and they only had one thing on their minds. Look at verse 4. And they consulted. They're talking with one another. They're planning. They're trying to come up with ideas and methods that they might take Jesus by subtlety or trickery and kill him. So the Sanhedrin is uh, the religious leadership. They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the chief priests, religious leadership. I mean, these are the men who have and hold the power in Israel at that time. And they're plotting Jesus' death. Only this time it's going to come to pass. They've been plotting this. They've tried before, but it hasn't come the way they thought it was. Look at verse number five. But they said, not on the feast day. So not on the Sabbath, lest there be an uproar or not in the Passover or lest there be an uproar among the people. And so verse five tells us they didn't want to do it during the feast. And that's eight days. That's eight days in length. And so their plan was to wait at least eight days. And God's plan was two. Who do you think is going to win God's plan or man's plan? God's plan. God's plan always takes place. And in spite of what their plan was, God was working his own plan. And so the Sanhedrin, this ruling body in in Israel, is together. And by now they've had more of Jesus than than they can possibly stand. They were intimidated by him. And the people uh, were following him. And they were threatened by him. Caiaphas was insecure. Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that uh, Caiaphas' uh, entire name was Joseph Caiaphas, and he was a wretched, vile, conniving, treacherous, wicked, deceitful man who is pictured in Scripture as having only one role, this high priest. What was his role? Well, every time we see Caiaphas in the Bible, we see that he is trying to kill Jesus. Isn't that a sad, a sad uh, way to summarize a person's life? Caiaphas hated. Jesus. Every time you see him in the Bible, he's trying to kill God. He's trying to kill the Son of God. Now, Caiaphas had more power than anybody else. He wanted to use his power to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's symbolic of how corrupt the religious system of Israel really was. And yet he he was carrying out all the priestly functions. He would have gone into the Holy of Holies, a place that had been defiled. He would have overseen the priestly functions. He would have he would have carried out all the leadership and the ceremonies and the sacrifices and the rituals. And along with him at this meeting were the chief priest, that is the leading priest of Israel, and that meant that the guy who was second in command and he called the captain of the temple. That that would have been his title. And he was in charge of the temple police. And under him were the priests over the daily course and the priests over the weekly course. And then there was the temple treasurer and the temple overseer and and then there was that little group that made up uh, that was the little group that made up the chief priest and the scribes were those who worked with the law and the elders were those who were the nobility out of the laity an unbiblical term having no priestly office but being the leaders of the people that were sent to sort of rule and govern on behalf of the people so the envious hypocrite Caiaphas gets this group of people together, and they've got to do something with Jesus. And God had brought their hatred to a, a, a fever pitch. They couldn't get Jesus out of their minds. And the resurrection of Lazarus has happened. And the hosannas that have threatened their position of power on Palm Sunday and his pronouncement upon them as whited sepulchers, if, if this was the Messiah, they knew that they were all going to be deposed. They were all going to lose their grip and authority and, and their ability to... To work and connive things to make them happen their way, Jesus was a threat to their entire way of life, and uh, he, they were afraid he was going to crush it. They were going to afraid that they were afraid that he was going to leave them desolate, and all these things came to culmination, and they hated Jesus. So I see, first of all, there's this hateful rejection of Christ. Secondly, I see that there's a loving worship of Jesus Christ. And when you think about the Lord dying in your place this week, I want you, the Bible says that we love him because he loved us. We, the Bible says that greater, man, uh, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so we do, we love Jesus because he loved us. But I want you to ask yourself the question this week, is it obvious that you love Jesus Christ? Has your love for him grown cold? Remember Ephesians, just a couple of weeks ago, I reminded you of what Revelation says about the church at Ephesus. And Jesus says, I know your works, I know how you've served, I know the things that you've done, I know the good things that you've done, but you've left your first love. And that if that's possible for the church at Ephesus, that's possible for you and for me. And so do you have a loving worship for Jesus Christ? Look at verse number six. This is a beautiful scene. Look at verse six. The Bible there says, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So I want to pause and we'll work our way through these verses. But Jesus was in Bethany. He's in the the house of Simon the leper. Now, what what does that tell us about Simon? Simon. It tells us that he had had leprosy. Because nobody went and had lunch with a leper. No lepers had people into their homes. Okay? So, Matthew now, from verse 5, he takes us back uh, in time a few days from Wednesday back to Saturday. And John 12 and verse 1 tells us that this was six days before the Passover. So, that's Saturday. And Simon the leper invites Jesus as a guest for a great, supper, a great supper. And again, I tell you, it tells us here that he's in Bethany. He's in the house of Simon the leper. That's how Simon became become known, Simon the leper. But but again, Simon was no longer a leper. We know that because if he was still a leper, nobody would have been able to go to his house. He was a healed leper. Leprosy in that day was incurable, Uh the only cure for leprosy was Jesus Christ. And so, Simon, you can imagine, we can't imagine this. If you had been a leper and the Lord Jesus Christ had come along and healed you and made you whole so you could go back to your family and back to your children and back to your home and your way of life, and you were a living man because God had delivered you from an incurable disease. Can any of us relate to this? We can we were sinners, dead in our sins and trespasses, sinning all the time, only sinning, hating God, going our way, living lives that were destroyed, and we no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't fix ourselves. So very much like leprosy in that sense. And Jesus had come along and he had healed Simon, so now Simon is showing his love and gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's offering him a meal. And they're going to fellowship. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine the excitement of inviting the one who has healed you into your home? I don't know who else was there. We know some of who was there. We think there were about 20 people there. The the disciples were there. Lazarus was there. Mary was there and Martha was there. I wonder if Simon's wife was there. I wonder if any of his children were there. I could imagine they would have loved the Lord very much. Jesus is coming, the one who healed my dad. I think the excitement would have been unspeakable because Simon had been formerly a leper. He had been an outcast of outcasts, and now here's the healer. God in human flesh is in his home, and he's hosting him, and he's inviting Mary and Martha and Lazarus to be a part of it, and all the 12 disciples and it's this lovely evening evening of gratitude and thanksgiving and learning and joy. And Luke says in his account that Martha was doing the serving and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was learning, doing what Mary loved to do. In Luke 10, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. You're full of care and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And he's talking about worship. He's talking about worshiping the Lord. You see, worship is better than service. And it is good to serve the Lord. We're seeing on Sunday night in our study of of heavenly rewards that God is paying extremely close attention to every one of our lives, everything that we do, everything we do for him. When our motives are to uh, out of worship and love to him and we're doing the right thing, Even when our flesh doesn't want to do the right thing and the world around us is not doing the right thing. When you do the right thing, when you do what the Bible says and when you follow the leading of the spirit of God, God takes note of every time you do that, every good work you do. And someday uh, First Corinthians chapter four tells us every man then shall every man have praise of God. He's going to look at you someday and he is going to, the word praise means laud. He's going to praise you for what you did for doing the right thing for him. So serving God and doing good works is very, very important. Ephesians 2 tells us that by, we're saved by grace, through faith, and in verse 10, unto good works. So that's part of God's plan, is serving God. And, and it's, it can be hard sometimes. Sometimes it's fun uh, to serve the Lord. To do good works is what we've been saved unto, but worship is better than service. Learning God's word is better than doing. And that's what Jesus was telling Martha. Sitting at the feet of the Savior is better than business. Look at verse number seven. There came unto him a woman. Matthew doesn't give her the name of Mary here. Came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it out on his head as he sat at meat. Now, sitting at meat in those days would not have been sitting in a chair. They would have been in a reclining position on their side, uh, in a more upright position, but still on their side. And and, and, and the Bible tells us here in Matthew, in verse 7, that there came unto him this woman. John tells us it was Mary. And Mary came with this bottle made out of, alabaster which was a very thin uh, very thin and it would be a very fat or round bottle with a very a very narrow neck many of you ladies have perfume bottles and they have different designs well this was a perfume of sorts and it had this very narrow neck on the bottle it would be corked and it would be plugged into the top and and Mary's been sitting at the feet of Jesus and she understands that Jesus is moving to his death She understood that he was going to die soon. She understood that she understood something about his resurrection. Maybe she remembered that Jesus had said he would rise again every time he said he was going to die. In Mark's account and in John's account, she shatters the whole bottle. And it says in Matthew here in verse 7 that she poured it out on his head. John says she poured it out on his feet. In other words, she poured it on his head. She poured it on his feet. She broke the bottle. She poured it all out on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this really is amazing, this example. And and we're looking at the scripture in light of what's about to happen to him. He's about to die. And and I want us to look at this not just as something that Mary did as a historical event, though it is, but I want us to consider ourselves as as we consider Mary, this act of loving worship. I mean, this was extravagant giving. This was extravagant love. This was Mary not holding back her love from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, again, I ask us this morning, are we, or do we find that we're holding back our love? Should our love for the Lord be tempered? I don't think it should be tempered. I think it should pour out. And so there's this, this beautiful, amazing, humble sacrifice of Mary I'm amazed at the detailed description of what she did. This description doesn't really have anything to do with theology. And yet these details are laid out to describe the nature of her love for the Lord. Mary's sacrifice here is a beautiful example of God honoring worship and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Nard is what was inside the bottle. It was a very rare herb grown in the high pasture lands of China and uh, India and the Tibet uh, region. And uh, Nard didn't find its way into a home in Bethany unless it had been carried there by camels from India and from China, uh, far, far away. And because it came so far, because it was so pure, it was very, very expensive. It was very valuable. In fact, its value was known to the man who only always thought about finances. And who was that among the twelve? who was that it was judas judas knew exactly how much that was worth that's all he cared about that's what he that's what he lived for by the way the other disciples never thought judas was the one who had betrayed the lord jesus christ that tells us that he had deceived them all into thinking that he was trustworthy But Judas knew what this was worth. He named the price, in fact, in John chapter 12, in verse 5, he named the price as 300 denarii. Now, a denarius was a a day's wage. That's what a man worked for. You got one denarius for a day's wage. So this was worth 300 days' work. So this was worth a lot. This was worth a lot of money. That's essentially a year's work. This was very expensive. In verse 7, we read that it was an alabaster jar. Alabaster is a, a white translucent stone, and it would be carved out to contain the nard. And probably that's how it was shipped and delivered and kept. And since there was no embalming in that day to somehow lower the impact of the stench of a decaying body, fragrant oils were placed on that body. So this was very valuable. This was a very valuable investment for a family to have this. And Mary uses it on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about what you own. Think about what's valuable to you. Think about your willingness to pour it out upon the Lord. In 1 John 4, verse 9, we're told that we love him because he first loved us. And I think that was that's why Mary did what she did. Her heart was overflowing with love and gratitude and all of a sudden she rushes to find this wherever it was from her place of sitting at his feet and learning. She rushes off to find this in its safe place and she bursts out in love and she's unable to restrain herself and she pours it out upon the Lord. And then the Bible tells us that she loosened her hair, which was a radical thing for women to do in that day uh, in the Jewish culture and in the presence of men. And she used her hair to wipe his feet uh, foot washing was a part of of the meal. You had to you you were supposed to do it. It was the right thing to do before you sat down to eat, um, because people wore sandals and there was no pavement. And dirty uh, feet uh, didn't suit people sitting down for prolonged dinner in a reclined position. You know, your feet laid out there. They weren't underneath the table. They were a, kind of beside the table, near the guy next to you. And so, when I say that Mary pours this out and she takes her hair. And she lets it down. She didn't care what anybody else thought. She just loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Not as a man, but as God. This was very much an act of worship. It was an amazing expression of sacrifice and love. Her her actions are shocking. They're shocking to you and me. We sit here and we read this. And and of course, people robed in Wicked flesh. And in our culture today, we, 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 we read this and we, even in, to some degree, there's a part of us that says, well, that I don't know how appropriate that was. Or maybe maybe that nard could have been used for something else. She covered him with the whole thing, 12 ounces of costly perfume that take that took a year's wage to earn. So this is expensive. And maybe we are thinking, well, what in the world made her do this? Now, this is a little much. She got a little carried away. No, it's an act of love. It's an act of love. It was an act of honor. She was so absolutely adoring and so absolutely controlled by worship that she couldn't be restrained. Do we understand Mary's love for the Lord? Do we understand it? Is it so foreign to us? Many of you in this room, I think, all of us in this room who are saved, we can we can consider our lives. We can, can consider doing good, obeying the word of God when we don't feel like it. Why do we do that? Because we love the Lord. Why do we gather with each other so many times every week? Why, why do we come out and crawl up on a roof uh, and re-roof a building? Because we love roofing? No. No. Um, why do you Sunday school teachers take time out of your week to study the word of God to come and give it to children within our church and uh, adults within our church? Uh, why do the ladies who work in our, our the kitchen ministry come throughout the week and go shopping and, and prepare food and, and serve other people? Why? And ultimately, I think, and this is where it ought to come back to, it ought to, it ought to come back to we do these things because we love the Lord. That's why. Why does the choir come every week for at least an hour and practice every week all year long to sing for a few minutes for you as a congregation? And ultimately, it's because they love the Lord. That ought to be the, the, the driving focus and the driving reason. And, and, and that's what that's what that's what's driving Mary. She was so adoring and so absolutely controlled by worship that she couldn't be restrained. And she's worshiping and she's loving the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we ought not, when it comes to our love for the Lord, we ought not approach our love for the Lord with, well, I can afford to give this so that I can still do what I want. I, I can do this, and it won't affect my life. That, that's not how we're to love and worship the Lord. You know, I'll love him, I'll do something for him, as long as it doesn't inhibit what my life, how I want my life to be. That, that's not adoring worship for the Lord. Mary's not doing that. She's not saying, I'll give it if it won't affect me. She just crushes that narrow neck of that alabaster bottle and she pours its contents all over Jesus. And she was pouring out her love. Her heart is full of compassion. Her heart was full of devotion. She was honoring the one that was going to die and rise again for her salvation she was doing this for the one who was going to take her sins upon his body. And apparently she understood more of Jesus' teaching than Jesus' disciples. So Mary is this beautiful picture of an outpouring of love that God desires. I was, I was studying this and reading this passage this week, I asked myself the question, I asked myself, do I have an opportunity to love Jesus Christ the way Mary did? Do we have do we have this opportunity? And if so, where? Where do we have this opportunity to to lavishly, worshipfully love the Lord Jesus Christ extravagantly? Where do we have that opportunity? In Jesus sermon, turn back to chapter twenty five. Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom. And look at, if you would, with me at verse number 34. Verse 34. He's talking about a day that we'll each stand before him. And I want you to keep in mind again, do we have an opportunity to love the Lord the way Mary did? Because I think at first my first thought was, well, no, I'll and someday when I'm with him in glory, but in this life I don't have that opportunity. But look at verse 34. Jesus says, "Then shall the King say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, talking about believers, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. And then shall the righteous answer him." He's talking about believers. For us, this would be the the family God, the local church. He says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger? Lord, I never saw you hungry and fed thee, or, or thirsty. I never saw you thirsty and gave thee drink. And when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, in, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And I want you to know this morning as we're looking at Mary's example of this worshipful love to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't be so quick to say, I've never had the opportunity, and I'll never have the opportunity to love the Lord Jesus Christ the way Mary loved me. Because every single one of us have that opportunity. We have that, ever, we have that opportunity as we interact with the body of Christ. We have that opportunity to love one another. And in loving one another, we have the opportunity to love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me as Mary is doing this, this picture of of pouring out her love to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how the disciples respond. Look at verse eight. And I'll read verses eight and nine. It says, but when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? What is the point? What are you, What is this woman doing? And notice they don't talk about her hair. They look, at, they look at the extravagance of her love. And they say, this is a waste. This is a waste. Look at verse 9. For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. It's This is so... It is disgusting. And it is wrong. This... It is also something that the disciples, not just Judas, this is how they all responded. Please don't ever look at your brother or sister in Christ and think, wow, what a waste of their time. You know, they're doing that. They're giving all of that effort for such a small thing. Please don't be judgmental the way these were. And I know we're tempted to do that sometimes or, you know, to take... Interested in another person's um, offering. I'm not talking about finances because we don't know what each other gives. But to take interest in what other people do and think, you know what, that, that was a waste of time. I don't even see the point of that. That's so like these hypocritical disciples at this point in their lives. They see it. They see what Mary does and they got mad. To what purpose is this waste? What a discouraging statement that is. waste. well, they say this perfume might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And this is a time but this this was not a waste. this was a time for worship. When when to when do you and I take time just to worship the Lord? And by the way, in John 12 and verse 6 it says that Judas is one the one that made the suggestion, not because he cared about the poor, but because he held the bag. In other words, the money that would have never gotten to the poor. It would have been sold for 300 denarii, put in the bag and stuck in Judas robe. And Jesus says to Judas in John 12 and verse seven, he sa- he says, let her alone. In verse 10, look there in verse 10 of our text. He says, when Jesus understood it. He said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me And and here in Matthew, when Jesus perceived this, he says to them, why are you troubling this woman? Why are you putting burdens on her? Literally, why are you furnishing her with a burden? Why are you making her feel bad about worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ the way she is? Or why are you making her feel bad about loving the Lord the way she is? And can I tell you this morning, don't ever feel bad for loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Love him. Love him with all that you have. Give your life to him. Worship him. He is, he is worthy of our worship. We can praise and laud a football team. We can praise and laud a, a, a golfer. We can praise and laud someone who has amazing intellectual ability and achieves great academic success. We can laud and applaud so many things. And our, our world is so full of worship today. But there is so much worship of the wrong things. Church the bride of Christ, young people, believers who have been saved a long time. Worship the Lord. Worship him with all you have. And and so what if others look at you and say, what a waste of a life. I can remember going to college uh, as an 18 year old and a couple of my aunts and uncles coming to me and saying, are you sure you want to go there? There are other schools, Seth. You could go to other schools. And I'd say, well, I believe God's called me to preach. And they would look at me and they would say, I mean, have you ever thought about this? I think you could do this. And some, even after I'd gotten into the ministry, people would still come to me and say, well, what about this, Seth? There's still You can still do other things. You're still young. And don't get hung up on, well, I'm not called to preach. We are called to worship and love the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that we have. And so do it. Don't hold back. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says this, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. So you're always going to have the poor. And the Bible is very careful to say that we need to meet the needs of the poor. Jesus is not overturning his teaching. He is just saying it's a question of priority. This is a time for worship. And as much as we should pour out our, possess- our what we possess and those who have need, so should we pour it out on the act of worship to God. If nothing was ever done with it except it was spilled on the ground, it was given in love, it was an acceptable act of worship that Jesus says is done excellently. And so, Trinity Baptist Church, adoring worship is the supreme act that any Christian can ever do. It's what we will do for all of eternity. We will worship him and it it brings glory to God and it takes faith on your part and on my part to worship him today. It is a mature believer who worships the Lord. It is the mature believers, the spiritual believer like Mary with the unspiritual believers in the disciples who were judging her. It was spiritual of her to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Verily I say unto you. Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall be this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Wherever the gospel is preached, loving worship is to be highlighted. Wherever the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is found, God's people are called To worship him. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Jesus is coming soon. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Don't hold back. Don't live for the things of this world that are temporal. Don't live for the health of physical body that fades away and beauty that fades away or strengths that fade away. Live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ love the Lord Jesus Christ he is worthy of it and so there's a hateful rejection loving worship and then there's this betraying hypocrisy look at verse 14 then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests so he is so he is so disgusted he is so disgusted with this loving worship of Jesus he has had it If if the true apostles of Jesus debated about who was going to sit on his right hand, Judas was beyond them. Judas was in it for the money. He was in it for the fame. Jesus was amazing. Make the dead to live. Cause the blind to see. I mean, Judas was a great investor. He saw a great opportunity. A lot of upside in this. I'm going to get on this bandwagon early. And I'm going to make, I'm buying low, I'm going to sell high. I'm going to make a lot of money. Jesus is going to be somebody. Judas could see Jesus was an amazing person. There was nobody else like him. This was his way to the top. And now he starts to see where this whole thing's going. The crowds are saying, Hosanna! Hosanna! They're calling to make him king. And he keeps saying no, and he's teaching He's this is not the reason that he's come and that he is going to die. And you know what, Judas, he sees this act of love on the part of Mary, and Jesus, Jesus tells them all, no, you don't make this woman feel bad about what she's doing because she's doing what is right. And Judas says, you know what, that's it. That's it. I may not be able to get the 300 denarii, but I'm going to get what I can. And Look what it says in verse 15. And he says unto the chief priests, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Church historians tell us that that was the value of a slave in those days. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. For the whole next week, this plot is burning in his mind. And I tell you again that Judas is the greatest example of lost opportunity that has ever walked the face of the earth. He heard Jesus' teachings daily, week after week after week. He heard the gospel. He saw God in human flesh. He heard the word of God, the bread of life, the the living water. Judas heard it. And he rejected, 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 rejected. He is the greatest example of lost opportunity the world has ever seen. And maybe there are some who are sitting in this room and you hear the word of God taught and preached. You hear it. You're infatuated with the world. You're infatuated. You're in love with yourself. You live for yourself. You worship yourself. Decisions that you make on a daily basis are all about you. They have nothing to do with God. They have nothing to do with with his word have nothing to do with God's people. You have no love for the church. You have no love for the body of Christ. You couldn't care less. You come because you have to, or you come because you feel guilty. You do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, the word of God has been given to you. The spirit of God is, is drawing you to the Lord. And I, and I encourage you this morning, come to him, come to the Lord. He alone is worthy of worship. Don't follow the world. Don't follow Judas' example. Let me close with, with this. There are only three ways. There are only three ways to respond to Jesus' death this week. There's a hateful rejection like, the, like Caiaphas, the high priest and the chief priests under him. And then there's the loving worship with Mary. Lord, take my life. Take everything I have. You are worthy of worship. You're worthy of my love. And then there's the evil... Betraying hypocrisy of Judas, where you pretend and you pretend and you pretend. But the truth is you don't love him because you have not believed upon him. You hear the words, he died for you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He took your sins upon his body and suffered your hell. And you do not believe those words. And so you do not love him at all. You love yourself. You've been close to him. But you do not know him. I want you to take your hymnals. And I want you to stand with me and I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed, please. How many of you would say with an uplifted hand this morning, you'd say, Pastor Ferguson,